You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. everybody. This is Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership and Marketing at the Retail and Hospitality Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and this is the RHISAC Podcast. Every once in a while, the stars align, and you get an opportunity for not one, but two amazing podcast segments in one episode. And on top of that, one of those segments is great enough and long enough to use over two episodes. That's the situation we find ourselves in for this episode, and I know not all of you are probably as excited as I am, but having access to great content sure makes our jobs easier. Now, a little inside baseball, obviously these two segments were pre-recorded. We're not coming to you live, sorry to disappoint, but you're going to want to listen anyway. Coming up first, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ben Vaughn. Ben wears a lot of hats in the world of the RHI SAC. Obviously, his main hat is his CISO of Hyatt Hotels. For me, he's also an RHISAC board member, a member of our membership and engagement committee, and he's always very supportive of what we do and gives us great counsel. Ben was also our CISO of the year in 2022, a very well-deserved recognition by his peers. He and I sat down for a wide-ranging discussion, touching on everything from the importance of diversity to Ben's approach to cyber insurance. Today, you'll hear the first half of that conversation. And then, speaking of firsts, a first for us, granted, this podcast has only been around a year and a half or so, but still, I'm co-hosting a segment with the host of another podcast that will also appear on their podcast. The topic is the rollout of PCI DSS 4.0, and that other podcast is the PCI Council's Coffee with the Council podcast. Sounds complicated, but it wasn't, and I think the discussion with tips about the rollout, and not only from the folks at PCI, but also from Target, and how they approached it was terrific and will make for good listening. As always, please let us know what you think about either segment or something totally unrelated. Shoot me an email at podcast at rhisac.org to share your thoughts, or if you're a member, find me on Slack or Member Exchange. Right, I am joined by Ben Vaughn, the Senior VP and CISO at Hyatt. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Oh my gosh, Luke, thank you. Uh, this is the first time I've ever done this, so for anybody listening, uh, just know that I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'll try my best to stay out of trouble and be interesting to you all. So far, so good. I think you're off to a great start. <laughs> okay, good. So tell us, Ben, how is everything at the world of Hyatt? Well, everything's going great. Um we had a very difficult period during the pandemic. You know, obviously, when you run hotels and people are in their houses, uh, it's a little challenging for a business like ours. But we have come out of that uh, really on steaming forward on all fronts. If you look at our financials, uh, the last couple quarters, we've been performing very well from a financial perspective. But I think more than that, we have been meeting and exceeding our guests' needs uh, on a daily basis across the globe. We have hotels open everywhere now um, with, with China largely reopening. And a lot of the world, Luke, has decided to go on vacation. And yeah. we, are, we are there to help you uh, do that. 
We did acquire a company in late 2021 called Apple Leisure Group, which made Hyatt, if I'm not mistaken, the world's largest operator of all-inclusive hotels and resorts. It's a new line of business or something, I, I suppose being, having that big of a footprint in all-inclusives is, um, is new for us. And it's something really exciting, all these new brands that we've added the last uh, couple of years. And I imagine a challenge to integrate all these disparate parts that may not have had such great cybersecurity practices into the practice that you've built there. I think cybersecurity is always going to be a challenge for any organization. It will always be more challenging, I think, for the hospitality field, uh, just because of the broad geographical footprint. I think we operate in probably 19 time zones. Six of the seven continents. We're still working on one in Antarctica someday. Integrating, you know, two companies um, is always going to be a challenge as well because you have two cultures around security, two sets of tools that need to be integrated and, and so on. But I'm very proud of the team's efforts um, and everything that we have accomplished, um, as you can see reflected in everything from uh, colleague engagement scores to cybersecurity premiums. Cybersecurity insurance premiums. Oh, well, that's going to be a topic that we we go over. It's on my list, but let's let's start a little bit more broadly. And you know, as a leader, I think we can agree that you're a successful leader in what you do. What do you use to guide how you approach cybersecurity from a from a broad standpoint? Well, I don't know. I would say I'm a successful leader. I <laughs> think I muddle along and, and and do a fairly good job of of keeping our guests and our colleagues safe. But there are a series of guiding principles that we have inside the department that that we as a team have thought about, talked about, that we try to put into practice every day. There's about six of them. Um, And those six principles, I think, put into action, safety through care, no half measures, don't juke the stats, be different, stay close in the Hyatt way, um, have been... Uh, one of the major sources of success for us so far. Would you mind going through those one by one since you have them so beautifully laid out and, and let us know what they mean? Sure. Uh, I'll warn you, there's some pop culture references in there. Uh-oh, and, I'm going to uh, be tested. Spoiler alert for for a couple of these. If you haven't seen the TV shows, you'll want to uh, change. Fast forward a couple minutes. But If they're 80s and 90s references, I might get them, but today I might not, but we'll see. Fortunately, they are not, but um, <laughs> uh, the first one for us is safety through care, and that is care is the number one driving thing at Hyatt. You're in a care business. Well, yeah, you're absolutely in a care business, but for us, it's it's something so much more than that. We Our corporate purpose, we care for people so they can be their best. And cybersecurity is such a compatible mission with that purpose because how can you say that you're caring for your guests if you're losing their stuff, right? We feel terrible uh, if we spill orange juice on a guest at breakfast because why is someone at a hotel? They're at a hotel because they're having a, a really important event in their life. They're on vacation. They're there for a job interview a family reunion, um, any number of important situations or why you might find yourself in a hotel. And if we disservice you uh, at breakfast, we feel terrible about that. We want to make that right. And 
someone um, in the leadership at the company once said to me, and it was really impactful to me, they said, well, it seems to me that by being bad at cybersecurity, we can scale up disservice, that instead of spilling orange juice on one guest, you can spill orange juice on several million all at once. That was really impactful to me. And so we have sought over the last seven years to tie everything we do in the department to caring for our guests and our colleagues and taking the steps that need to be taken to as many as we can to protect them, to keep them safe and to create that feeling of safety. I would say also the the thesis of my career has really been centered around what might people do with computers if only they felt safe using them. Oh, wow. Right. I think a lot of people feel safe using them, but maybe that's a, maybe that's a false sense of security, right? Well, I, I don't know that they do, Luke. I, I think we're all instructed not to feel safe using computers. Don't talk to strangers on the Internet. Don't click on the link. Be careful when you're sending bank account information. And so I think people sort of approach using computers from a feeling of unsafety. And what if you could create a computing environment that was safe enough that people could feel safe using it. I think that's important to me and it's important to the team, creating that feeling of safety in our colleagues. Excellent. I I really, I like the metaphors with the orange juice uh, because I mean, this is part of the, it's a, it makes it, it frames it as a key part of the business as opposed to something off to the side. It's a really important part of our business. Our guests value the service that they get at our hotels, they value the quality of the experience that they get at the, our hotels, and then they also value the privacy that they have uh, when they're at our hotels. And so it's important to us to do a good job for our guests. We talk about our guests a lot, even in the security department. So uh, no half measures. It seems obvious what that might mean, but do you have a do you have a nuance or a spin on it? So this is one of the spoiler alerts. So. Um, There was um, a TV show that ran for several years called Breaking Bad. Yes. And um, I don't want to provide any editorial uh, guidance on whether it was a good or a bad show, but there is a scene in one of the episodes of that show where one character, Mike, is talking to Walter about a uh, the uh, the main character, the antagonist, pro antagonist, I suppose. and, and he tells him a story about a time earlier in his life when he had an important decision to make. And he sums up the story by saying, the point is, Walter, I chose a half measure when I should have gone all the way. And I think that's an important guiding principle for us in security, because going back in my career, which now spans 29 years, Every time I've been a part of a team or led a team where we needed to make a change to a computing environment, and we did half the change because we didn't have the time, we didn't have the money, we didn't have the wherewithal or the support, that ended up coming right back around and turning into attacker actions on objectives. And I don't think that's because the people that we're engaged in this struggle with know that we implemented something or did something halfway, but it's, it's more of a statistical problem. If you leave a hole, 
that is the hole that will be exploited. Not because they're looking for that hole or they know that that hole exists, but because it's a Murphy's Law thing. If it does exist, it will be exploited. And so we try really hard to um, push all the buttons, if you will. Don't be like Mike Armantrout. See? <laughs> I knew the reference. I got that one. That was one of my guilty pleasures during, okay. uh, during there COVID. You go. There you go. All right. So don't juke the stats was the next one you mentioned. Another TV show reference. Sorry, I'm a pop culture person. Um, That's okay. There was a TV show that ran for six years in the early 2000s called The Wire. Ah, and yes. something that was instructive for, for me and some folks on my team in an episode of that show, I think from the fourth season, where two policemen are sitting in a meeting. And one of the policemen remarks that it's going to be very difficult for them to meet the crime reduction numbers that they've been pledged to meet. And the other uh, police officer says something along the lines of, well, it's actually easy. You juke the stats. And he said, what, do you, what, what is that? And he said, well, you turn an armed robbery into a robbery. And you turn a robbery into a simple assault or a mugging. And by sort of downgrading crimes, um, you can show that, oh, wouldn't you know that the armed robberies uh, went down? Wow. So there's a gray area to the uninformed. You can, you can let them, you can fool them sometimes, but you're saying, no, don't do that. I think human beings have a tendency sometimes to paint a rosy picture. And I think that that sometimes gets security teams and security leaders into trouble because they painted the rosy picture and then things didn't quite turn out so rosily. And then they're asked by leadership, well, you told me everything was great. So why is everything not so great? Right. It's and kind of another side. version of the, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word crime. <laughs> um, it is important to always tell the earnest truth about your successes, but also your failures. Because that's what breeds trust. Right. Very good. Be different was the fourth one. When I started in my in this field, I found that the field looked a lot like me. And if the mission is to provide and create a feeling of safety in people, I and people who look like me alone cannot create a feeling of safety in all of our guests and our colleagues because we all have different backgrounds and different concepts of the feeling of safety. Right. Yes. Uh, certainly you and I look a lot like each other in this respect. And so that's, I mean, this is something we've talked about before. Tell, tell me a little bit about how, how, what that means to you and, and from your perspective and trying to bring in the different other perspectives that other people may have who don't look like us. It, it just means to me that you have to do the hard work of building a diverse team and a diverse team across many dimensions of diversity. Because if you're trying to create a feeling of safety, you need to have a group of people who can represent all views of the prism of safety. Right. So that's race, gender, economic background. Uh, what else? Educational experience. We need people who are very experienced with security and people who are new to the field. We need females and males. I need as many diverse viewpoints inside the team as possible 
so that those people who have been encouraged to be different can represent their views to our to all of us as a team. So DEI, diversity, uh, equality, or uh, and inclusion is, is a buzzword right now, but you obviously treat it way more than just a buzzword or a slogan. So what are the outcomes or impact do you have, do you see with a diverse workforce? In, in our field specifically, in security, having a diverse team is the key to making all of one's colleagues and customers feel safe. And that's just it? It's as simple as that? I don't think we can win without it. So ha- hiring is obviously the important first half of that equation, but how then do you make those people, I guess, feeling safe is important, but also feeling included, feeling a part of the team if they are, at least at the beginning, the only person who looks like they do until you other people who look like they do in your unit? I think that inclusive journey is, it's actually probably easier for a security department to do that than other uh, departments at a big company. Because in a security department, my, my boss, my leader once said to me, you're very unique in a corporate job because the security department has an enemy. And I thought that was so fascinating because he's so right. Um, the security department has an enemy, a person on the other end of that computer that wants to do you harm. And that can, can be used to create esprit de corps and inclusivity, right? So obviously, it, Hyatt has competition, but it's not enemies. You and cybersecurity departments have enemies. That's right. I mean, in accounting department, the enemy is you know making sure that your numbers are accurate. Um, in, a, in an insurance department. It's ensuring that you pay the right money for the insurance, but there's not a hostile person (laughs) at the other end of a computer who wants to do you harm. And I think that helps to focus our minds. um, And it helps to, I I hope, um, make colleagues who join the department feel that they're part of that cohesive team because we're in the trenches together, um, engaged in this broader struggle. I think also setting aside sort of adversary-driven inclusivity is, <laughs> right. is the effort and expense that we, that we engage in at, at Hyatt to bring our colleagues together, to celebrate our successes with them, to communicate with them, to poll them on, on how they're feeling through a quarterly colleague experience survey, and, and then also to have you know, regular dinners, meetings, team-ups. More than half of our team is now remote workers. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like how I mean you're remote, so how do you how do you build that relationship if some people are in the office and they have their own culture and then other people are are far away? Our business is about bringing people together. It wouldn't be much of a business if we didn't have any hotels, right? Right. I like how you always bring it back to that though because it's such, you know, it's such an important thing for you to keep in mind that you're not just a cybersecurity department and you know, company A, you're part of a hospitality enterprise. That, that's absolutely right. Um, we can't just sit in our houses and not know our business. And so every quarter, uh, our team convenes. We all travel from all over the country uh, and we meet in Chicago. And then once a year or so, we meet at one of our hotels 
that's important to us to get closer to the field and then to get closer to one another. I'm just wondering, do the, does the staff at that particular hotel know that they're hosting the Hyatt cybersecurity team or do you kind of like keep it secret to see how they do? <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, we certainly don't keep it secret. Um, uh, we like to meet with the IT managers at the hotels, get, get to know them and their problems. And so that's an important part of our visits as well. Excellent. So that's probably a bigger one, uh, more more of a, a marquee property, or at least in a large large place. Um, so just getting back to hiring, I, I had one more question. So diversity, looking for diversity is one thing, or or being open to it when when you have a hire to make. You know, it's always been interesting to me since I've, I'm a recent re- relative newcomer to the cybersecurity field, and I always look to see what a career typical career path for a CISO is or a director. And you know, we have a lot of veterans in our industry, and and you know, there's some some similarities, but there doesn't seem to be one singular career path uh, in cybersecurity. So beyond diversity, what skill sets do you look for in a candidate if you're open to different educational backgrounds, different economic economic backgrounds, and, and everything like that? There's one thing that we select for more than anything else, and that is enthusiasm. Oh, excellent for safety and security. That's great. We can teach you how to use an EDR tool. We cannot, well, it's going to be a lot harder to teach you how to be enthusiastic about this topic. That's great. And, you know, I, I've talked to other CISOs about this, uh, particularly in, in, you know, ones that are similar minded to you where, you know, the skill set can be taught as long as you have, you know, an enthusiastic mind, uh, open to learning things, uh, intellectually curious um, you know, those, those are more important than having, you know, and, and I think this is interesting when I talk to people who aren't in cybersecurity, they assume that you have to have this huge technical skill set already in place, but you don't, you just have to be aware. You have to be enthusiastic, as you say, uh, and be open to, to learning. I, I think more than anything else, that is what we want to look for. It is great when we find, um, people with 10 years of experience that want to come work with us. Um, it's even better when we find somebody with 10 years of experience who's just super engaged and interested and fascinated with this topic. I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And when I wake up in the morning, this is what I'm thinking about. And when I uh, go to bed at night, this is what I'm thinking about this topic, this fascination that's enduring with me of keeping people safe. And I think surrounding the company with people who are enthusiastic about hospitality and surrounding in the team with people who are enthusiastic about security is an important driver of our success. This is a very exciting segment of not only the RHISAC podcast, but also the Coffee with the Council podcast of the PCI Security Standards Council. As listeners of the RHISAC podcast know, I'm Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership and Marketing at the Retail and Hospitality ISAC, and I'm the co-host today because we have another host with us, Alicia Malone. Alicia, 
Hi, Luke. It's so great to be with you today. I'm Alicia Malone. I am the Senior Manager of Public Relations at the PCI Security Standards Council. And this is a special episode indeed because this is actually the first time we've done a co-host opportunity with a third-party stakeholder. So we are so excited to be here today. Yes, we're excited too. And we hope this goes well. Uh, I think it's good. It's going to be good to work with you. Alicia and I have each brought, kind of brought a guest of our own uh, to this segment. My guest is Tony James, Director of Cybersecurity and a longtime RHISAC member, Target. Who did you bring, Alicia? I have Candace Young with me. She is the Manager of Data Security Standards at the PCI Security Standards Council. Excellent. Welcome to you both. So, the rollout of DSS 4.0, something that's been in the works for a while, but if you haven't been paying attention to it yet, frankly, there's no time like yesterday. So just as a means of setting the stage, we've seen a significant increase in POS malware just over the last two or so years, right? And I know, at least in our sharing communities, we've seen increased interest in skimming activity overall, but more specifically around tactics like using cloned cards and getting cashiers to bypass chip-enabled security. And of course, they're creating cloned cards using stolen card data captured via skimming devices installed inside of gas pumps, ATMs, point-of-sale devices. So I guess, Tony, let's start with you. I guess these and other threats are what DSS 4.0 is trying to address. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, folks. Definitely, PCR 4.0 addresses some of these concerns. And as a retailer, we're definitely seeing some of those risks related to digital skimming. And like you said, uh, trying to force uh, beyond the the chip-enabled readers in the stores. It's actually cool. One of the things that Target rolled out is actually open source. is a tool called EasySweep to help some of those team members uh, for any retailer that wants you to check those... uh, hard uh, those um, gas payment devices, the pointer action devices to actually ensure that there's no skimmers or digital uh, shimmers in there as well. Uh, and so that's uh, uh, something we've worked on to help both Target and the industry. Beyond that, digital skimming is definitely a concern. We've also uh, open sourced a tool called Merrymaker that anyone can download uh, and leverage. Uh, we can uh, provide some, feel free to reach out. We can provide some the Git repo and stuff to just access that and, and see how it works for your organization to protect against digital skimming. These are probably two of the most prevalent payment security related issues that uh, retailers are facing these days. And that's why we've tried to help the industry and provide those solutions that can work for everyone. That's really good, Tony. I think because PCI DSS from its inception was really about fostering the broad adoption of consistent data security measures all around the world. So the new version of PCI DSS, we needed to make sure that it evolved to align with the evolution in payments, right? So a lot of the the areas that the new version focuses on, you know, flexibility to implement technology, but also meeting the security needs of the payments industry, right? And, And tackling those exact items that you discussed. Because we had open RFC comments for our stakeholders, we got over 6,000 comments about how organizations are looking to better secure their environments and what we need to do to help them achieve those better security practices. So with all of those, uh, with all those comments, that really drove the evolution and the, 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 the focus we have on PCI DSS, right? So we've got stronger encryption, uh, more complex authentication, the e-commerce skimming that you mentioned. So prevention and detection are key aspects, as well as anti-phishing support, because we know a huge social engineering tactic is, is the phishing. And so we've brought in the technical and awareness components to really drive that home to support our stakeholders. 
So Candace, for retailers who are new to PCI DSS version four, what should they do to start implementing it in their own payment environments? Well, the first thing I would say is read the standard. <laughs> I mean, we've got an extensive amount of guidance, best practices, and we really drill down into the why and provide a lot of examples. I mean, that's why the standard itself has gotten about three times the size that it was in version 3.2.1, not because of the new requirements, but because the feedback from our stakeholders told us that they wanted clarification, they wanted additional context. And so we provided that in the standard. So read that to really help you understand the requirements, the new updated, and how they impact your organization. So we've included several new concepts that I think uh, organizations should really look at when they're starting to implement. So the customized approach, right, that is a new way to meet PCI DSS requirements uh, to really help support innovation in the industry. We've got targeted risk analyses, right? So we've done away with the formal organization-wide risk assessment, and we're looking at requirements and the specific controls that address security concerns and looking at how the business addresses the risk to help mitigate the impact of any any of those issues. So we've got network security controls, as well as we have the general term of third-party service providers, or TPSPs as we call them, to really wrap in general support for the service provider and merchant communications. So I'd say, you know, look into the targeted risk analyses to really help understand how you can meet those requirements to help, let's say, determine the frequency. You want to check for systems not at risk for malware in your system. Well, we offer flexibility to do that. So make sure you perform the targeted risk analyses and go, I think it's requirement 12 that offers uh, details on how to properly perform that. Uh, Another thing I would say is don't let your version 3.2.1 controls slip. I mean, stay strong with your existing controls because we know, yes, it is a point in time assessment, but the goal is to make sure we perform security as a continuous process throughout the entire year. And even if you do complete an SAQ, which some I know some of the, the retailers do, still review the guidance in the standard because it's equally applicable. We've included considerably more guidance in the standard that may not have made its way to the SAQ. So make sure you, you read both documents in their entirety. Target ahead of the game as usual. Uh, so when when you were implementing this, you know what was the biggest realization that you came to, and, and wh- how did you start? Yeah. So honestly, our biggest realization, Luke, was not to overthink it. So where Candace said, "Read the standard first, I totally agree. I was going to say I completely agree. That is the right place to start. Uh, a lot of people jump right to looking at webinars or asking industry experts. And I'm going to get to that. That is that is absolutely something you should do. But first, understand the impact of, that it has to your organization. Candace said it really, really well there. That the first thing is to read that and understand how it impacts you. Because oftentimes, if you jump right to what other people are saying, you're going to be focused on the wrong things. A great example would be digital skimming. For us, like that is a huge new component in PCI 4.0. It's not as impactful, actually, to Target. We already had a solution in place. There was already a risk in the industry that we were facing. And we had a solution there that we could just say, okay, that's our thing now. It's not a significant impact to us. It's still super important. A lot of evidence we'll have to gather. It's a new thing, but it's not necessarily going to be a huge obstacle or a huge new thing for us to attain. There's other things in there, uh, multi-factor authentication or authenticated scans. Those are definitely new in the industry and also somewhat new to Target. And so there'll be definitely be some, some lift there, but that might not be the case for other organizations. I've definitely talked to some peers out there who have said, you know what, I already was doing multi-factor twice, so it's not a big deal. That totally makes sense. But if you just look at what's happening in the industry and what they're talking about, 
you might be focused on the wrong things. So read the standard first. Candice, do you have any tips on how companies can prepare for this transition? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, in addition to reading the standard, we did publish a summary of changes document. And so that is really, really helpful to give you an idea of what was in 3.2.1 versus how it's kind of been modified in version four. And it also includes a full list of all of the, the new requirements added to the standard and when they will be effective. So that is, that is a, a for the first resource that I would say. And actually, as Tony was mentioning, you know, you're prioritizing your remediation activities, right? So really help to look at, he was already meeting, there was already meeting certain requirements. So now they're able to have the opportunity to reallocate resources to maybe other areas where they may not necessarily be meeting the appropriate controls for PCI DSS version 4.0. It's important to have that understanding first, right, to be able to kind of reallocate those resources. I would say preparing for the transition. Another thing is understand the validation op options, right? Because as I touched on, we have the, uh, the customized approach, right? And so that is really to help support cutting edge technology that organizations may be using. But it's really important that if you're going to embark on that journey of the customized approach, Start it as early as possible because there's an additional documentation and support required to really help to um, not only implement, but maintain and secure those, those innovative controls. So we've got quite a few blog posts on this very topic, the customized approach on our website. So I would say that is a great reference to, to look at it for organizations wanting to understand a little bit more about that. And um, I would say document your steps and inventory your components because it's often overlooked, you know, establishing policies and procedures. Oh, we can do that later. No, no. Sometimes they're quite time consuming and you may not know you're missing steps until your assessor lets you know. Right. So in order to support the ongoing consistent implementation of these security controls, document it and inventory because it's part of the new um, in the new standard. You've got to inventory bespoke and custom software, cryptographic cipher suites trusted keys and certificates used to protect PAN that's in transit. So we've got a few materials on our website to really help support this transition. So those are the things I would say to start with uh, helping this transition. Tony, I know you've got some things to say about that. You know, uh, How have you guys really helped to, start to prepare for, for this transition? I know you engage quite a few trusted experts. We did. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, Candice, yeah, I, I think you, you nailed it in saying that the first thing to do is to to understand what uh, is right for you and, and digging in and even understanding what the different uh, ways to validate your compliance are. So the first step for our really us really was after we understood the requirements, I think the document you referenced there uh, where you can, you're talking about what the big changes were is, is great. What we did then was actually look back at 3.2.1 for what one is, what uh, requirements had changed and compare like what was it that changed within that requirement. So we could really know like is it just a wording change that was significant? Is it a brand new requirement? What was it about that that clearly changed? So that helped us drive how big a deal it really might be. And once we really understood which some of the biggest requirements were, I know that you're, the uh, council does a great job saying there's like 64 new requirements. And for us, it's 64 plus then a, a nine or so that were significant changes. So we have 75 new or significantly updated requirements that really applied to us. The key then was understanding how big a deal are those and really categorizing those and then talking to those trusted experts. We've started going down this path. This is what we think the big changes are. Are we missing anything? And that's where you engage your QSA. That's when you engage some of your benchmarking. Some of you might know 
Uh, I, I have a number of groups that I benchmark with, both within retail uh, and hospitality ISAC. Um, I have a couple other uh, benchmarking groups that I facilitate myself just to make sure that we are really aware of what's going on in the industry and what other people are saying about these. And I would say there was about 74 of the requirements that we nailed. And then there was one like, oh, that's an interesting point that someone brought up. And I forget which one it was. But it was just really helpful for us to realize that we were pretty much on point for everything. And then there's one new thing that we missed. And then we talked with our QSA after that benchmarking and watching the webinars and, and talking to our peers. And that's when we realized actually for a couple of them, we were over-indexing. They're like, hey, you know, you're saying this is a big change for you. Based on all these things we know about you and the evidence you've provided already in the past, that's actually probably not a huge lift. If you just do this, that's probably going to be good enough for us to understand or meet this requirement. So that was super helpful for us to engage those two different groups to make sure we understood what the impacts were and how it really would impact us. You know what else I would say too, which I, f- I found through some uh, feedback we've been receiving is sometimes... If you if you are engaging or beginning with new technology, like Tony, you're in, in a great position, but other organizations may have had a huge lift on some of the technology uh, that they've had to incorporate into their environments. And one thing I would say too, in addition to uh, trusted experts, is training your internal staff. So it's important to, to make sure that when you add any new technology to your environment or you're making any updates in response to PCI DSS version 4.0, let's say, making sure that your staff is a aware and up to date on what's happening and they're trained on that so that if there are any issues in the future, you already have in-house experts to help support that. And I think other organizations can maybe benefit from that knowledge. I'm sure, Tony, that's something you're already doing with, with, with your great staff, but I think it's so important for others to be aware that, hey, we want to do cutting edge technology. That's great. So make sure we have people on staff to support us if in fact, maybe the new technology is not addressing all of the system components it should or it's malfunctioning. So make sure you have that those trusted experts internally before the assessment begins. Yeah, I agree. That kind of brings me back to the other point you mentioned earlier on validation and using the customized approach. Uh, first of all, I really want to applaud the council for implementing this. I know they did a lot of work with the industry to understand what the industry wanted here and how to make it come to life. And so I applaud you for making it a reality. Uh, that said... I think it's a great point to call out for those of you who haven't dug in a lot. It will be a lot of work. Don't go in thinking, oh, great, I'll do this customized approach and that'll be less work for me in the end and it'll just make this whole process easier. There's some realization that that it probably could make things easier for your business or easier for your technology experts at the end. But there's going to be more pre-work ahead of time working with your QSA and working internally to understand exactly what those controls are doing that targeted risk assessment, as you referenced, in preparing to evaluate a control that you're creating to meet this requirement. And I I want to make sure everybody is really aware of that, that it's a great option, but it does not uh, mean lots less work. You're, you're so right, Tony, because I think the customized approach was really developed to for risk-mature organizations that have a strong framework and strong resource, really associate or provide strong resources to help support the implementation, but also the long-term efficacy of those controls. Because you're right, there's a lot of documentation involved. But for organizations that want to, you know, do some sort of modern malware protection or anything else that's really exciting with, uh, you know, evolving their network segmentation, then there's certainly a space to do that. A question for both of you, um, and I'll start with Candace on this. 
What is the most important thing that you want retailers to take away from this podcast regarding PCI DSS version four? Um, I, I know that our, our, our timeline is getting closer and um, I wondered if you could just speak to that, Candace, and some of the really important things that they need to know going into this. Uh, well, start now, right? So PCI DSS version 3.2.1, it retires on March 31st, 2024. So that is right around the corner. So after this date, it's PCI DSS version 4.0 assessments. We do have some additional best practice requirements that are now future dated, and those will take effect on the 31st of March, 2025. But it's important that you perform your gap assessments so you know where you have those gaps in controls, so you are prepared to adopt those new controls that come into effect in 2025 well in advance of your assessment date, right? So prepare for the assessment before you undergo the assessment. Get organized, be informed about controls and the gaps in your con- the gaps in your controls and your practices. So we say that early planning and proper investment are are, are critical to your success. Uh, and finally, I will say I will plug: we collaborate with the industry uh, on a regular basis, and that's how we thrive. That's our foundation. So if you'd like to collaborate with us, you can become a participating organization, and that really gives you as an industry stakeholder the opportunity to be involved in the direction of our standards as well. It'll give you the opportunity to join our special interest group that we're working on right now about scoping and segmentation for modern network architectures. So your voice will be heard and your expertise will become a part of the guidance to the payments industry. So those are the things I think retailers can take away uh, from our talk today. Candace, I think that's great. You know, the best laid plans, though, of mice and men often go astray. So Tony, what would you say if you're running late? What, uh, what should you do next? So I think the first thing to do is really engage in that gap assessment quickly. I talked a lot about what we did from a gaps assessment standpoint, and that's where I would focus. And it, it's similar to kind of what Candace was asked there too. So where should I start? What should I do? It really is three things. It's read, plan, and communicate. So read it, understand it, talk to the experts in your organization. You'll have subject matter experts throughout your organization. Talk to them and understand the impact to you. Gather details about what you and those other experts outside of your organization might think are the biggest impact. Make your plan. So plan for what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, what your timelines look like, and what you need to accomplish by what dates. Because there's different dates. Some things are due in 2024. Some are due in 2025. So prioritize that. And finally, we haven't talked about this one enough. Communicate. If you have read it all and know exactly what you need to do when you start doing it all, but you haven't told anybody in your organization you're not setting yourself up for success. So communicate what's going on with 4.0, how it impacts you to your organization, and communicate those plans are and what you need from those experts. If you want them to do something by a certain date, you probably need to look at perhaps what the organizational budgeting uh, timelines are within your organization and work around that. If you need something done next year, and your organization does budgeting in January, you want to probably be talking to those teams well before that so they know what budget to ask for so they can implement that in next year. So those are the three things, read, plan, and communicate. I wholeheartedly agree with that, Tony. I think properly allocating human and technical resources and given enough time prior to implementation, I think is a really key and critical component to success in meeting uh, the new requirements. So spot on, I agree. Candace, where can our listeners go for more information about PCI DSS version 4? 
Well, you can head over to our website. Uh, we've got PCISSC.org and we have a PCI DSS resource hub actually with all the documents I mentioned. So the summary of changes document, we've got our standard, we have um, coffee with the council uh, videos where we have commonly asked questions. We have a considerable amount of FAQs because we are receiving questions on a daily basis from our stakeholders. And so when we receive enough of those, we actually publish them as formal FAQs on our website. And so that that's a, a resource that we're updating on a regular basis. We put quite a few in just last month. So that's an, an, another great resource uh, to head on to and blog posts. We're constantly doing those. So those are all available on PCISSC.org. That's excellent. And we'll, we'll link to all those resources as well from our show notes uh, on our version of this segment as well. But I also want to plug, this isn't the last time you can hear from this uh, group uh, and a couple more folks. We're also hosting a joint webinar on this topic. That's going to be on the 25th of May at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And again, we'll have links all over the RHISAC website and we'll put it in the show notes as well. And I'm guessing you guys will do that as well. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that webinar as well, Luke. And um, I wanted to just thank our, our guests today for their insight. Um, this is so helpful. And I think this is really great information for, for the industry. Excellent. Yes. Thank you both as well. And thank you, Alicia, for letting me co-host with you. I think this worked out great. So uh, hopefully maybe we can do it again someday. Yeah, let's do it again. This was a lot of fun. Thank you to Alicia Malone of the PCI Security Standards Council for co-hosting that segment and for bringing along Candace Young, Manager of Data Security Standards at PCI, as well as a thank you to Tony James, Director of Cybersecurity at Target, for his insights on PCI DSS 4.0. And don't miss that webinar I mentioned. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Hopefully, you'll see that wherever you're listening. If not, just go to rhisac.org and click on our events calendar in the nav. I'll make sure that it's there. And a great big special thank you to Ben Vaughn of Hyatt. You can listen to the second half of that conversation with him in just two weeks on the next episode of the RHISAC podcast, which, of course, you can find at thecyberwire.com or wherever you listen to high-quality podcasts like ours. As always, a great thank you to my own production team at the RHISAC, Annie Chambliss and Marisa Trashinecki, and for making us sound good, the folks at CyberWire, our senior producer, Jennifer Iben, and the sound team of Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester. Once again, if you have anything you want to tell us about, preferably cybersecurity related, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there.